Preaching this morning, as you've noticed on your bulletin, if you have looked at it, on the subject, clothes make the man. The scripture, 1 Samuel 2nd chapter, the 19th verse, speaking of Hannah and the gift that she gave to her son Samuel, and his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year. There's a lot in the Bible about clothes, about covering Beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden, after they had disobeyed God, they made for themselves some clothes. Joseph's coat of many colors. John the Baptist, rugged outdoorsman that he was, with clothes to fit the environment and to protect him. And then that expensive, seamless robe worn by our Lord that was so find that they did not tear it into pieces, but rather as a single robe gambled for it at the foot of his cross. There's a lot in the Bible about covering, about clothing, about protection. And here in 2 Samuel, in 1 Samuel, 2nd chapter, the 19th verse, we're told that Hannah made a coat, a little coat, and brought it to Samuel year after year. I want to say a word about Hannah. This loving mother, this caring, concerned, dedicated mother, and what this coat represents from a practical standpoint, a functional standpoint, as well as a spiritual standpoint, as a symbolic gesture. The coat had some very practical values. It was essential to life. The only thing more important to a traveler in Bible lands in that day than his coat was his donkey. The coat protected him or her from the cold weather at night. And it can get very cold in Israel, certain times of the year, certain places, very cold. This past uh, December, Christmas, uh, it was about four feet of snow in Jerusalem. It can be very cold at certain times of the year in certain places. It can also be very hot in certain places. At certain times of the year, it can be 120 degrees. That coat is essential to protect the person's body from the cold of the winter or the night and the heat and the sand of the noonday. It was essential for protection. And what Hannah was giving Samuel was wrapping around him this protective coat to sustain him physically during those years of growth. But she was symbolically giving something else that coat was but a symbol of something even more essential to life. Namely, she was surrounding him, engulfing, encompassing him in her love, in her prayers, in her compassion, surrounding him moment by moment, day by day, even as she supplied him year by year with a little coat. It was perennial as well as practical. 
She gave him the coat year after year after year because she recognized that he was growing. She recognized that he was maturing. And last year's coat wouldn't work for this year's, and this year's would not suffice for the next. She was granting him the right to grow. She was recognizing the necessity for change. Maturing. And with the provision of that coat for change, also, I believe, the kind of mother that Hannah was, she provided in her own mind, in her own spirit, in her own praying for his continuing growth and development. I thank God that I had a mother that did not smother, that did not possess, constrict, restrain. Misguided love can be sometimes the most dangerous if it goes to the excess of destroying initiative and creativity and exploration and can turn children into emotional and spiritual cripples. We must change even as they change. We must grow even as they grow. The coat is provided year by year for that young body is growing. Those prayers that I wrap around Mike and Steve and Lisa must also grow and change for their minds are growing, their life is changing, their world is expanding. And Hannah made Samuel a little coat every year. In effect, she was saying, Samuel, it's all right to grow up. It's all right to change. It's all right to become your own person, for I have given you to God, and I will trust you and the Lord to work things out best for you and your life and his will through you in his world. Not only was the coat symbolic of change, it was also a recognition of the need for beauty. The coat was colorful. As most of the coats are to this day, the clothing worn by people who still occupy the desert will be often clothes that have bright colors in them, most often bright reds, bright blues, bright yellows, bright greens, blazing color. Every child deserves to grow up in a colorful home, a colorful atmosphere, a vivid, alive place. Schools ought to be that way. Hospitals ought to be that way. Businesses ought to be that way. Churches ought to be that way. That's one thing I thank God for in this beautiful building. It is filled with color, for God's world is filled with color. And Hannah gave Samuel a colorful life. Now, Hannah means grace. The name Hannah means grace. If you are named grace in Hebrew, you're Hannah. Hannah means grace. And what Hannah 
did for Samuel, God's grace does for you. Every one of you. Each one of you. For every person here is an only child so far as God is concerned. He loves each of us, as Augustine says, as though there is only one to love. I love Mike and Steve and Lisa as though each of them was an only child. I do not divide my love into 33 and a third percent portions and pass it out to the three of them. Each of them gets all of my love. Each of you receives all of God's love. You are an only child. And God loves you as an only child. And he has grace specifically for you. He has grace for protection and for pardon. He has grace to protect us from the ravages of the world in which we live, from the storms that sweep across our minds, our hearts, our lives, our cultures. Have you ever stopped to think how often God is protecting us, something we so often take for granted? When something dramatic occurs, when we nearly have a horrible accident and we escape from it, we think, oh my goodness, the Lord protected me and provided for me. Or maybe some of us have accidents and survive them and thank God for surviving. I wonder how many times this past week God has done things for us that we were not even cognizant of, aware of, and he was protecting us because of his grace and his love, and we take it for granted. I'm not blaming us for doing that. It's just that we're so preoccupied with the world around us, we may be impervious to the sensitivity that comes with realizing that God is with us all of the time. When we are awake, when we're asleep, when we stand, when we sit, he is always with us. The protective grace of God. We are here today because God has wrapped his love around us as Hannah wrapped that coat around little Samuel and wrapped her love around him. You and I are here because God has wrapped his love around us. His grace is sufficient for us. That's a great verse of Scripture. Memorize it. My grace, God says, is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for the storms of life. God's grace is sufficient for the sunny days of life, for the good times of life, the pleasant times. I notice a tendency among some of us as Christians and among Christians in general as I read and listen to what people are saying and what people are thinking some people are developing a kind of miracle mentality. A miracle mentality that the only time God does something is when he does something surprising, something sensational, something stupendous. And everybody stands back in awe and says, God performed a miracle. How many of us miss the miracles in the mundane, everyday things of life? And we must be careful to guard ourselves against the temptation to a, a miraculous mentality. That may be, just maybe one reason that Jesus cautioned a number of people 
after he had performed a miracle upon them, he cautioned them about talking about it. Biblical students and commentaries through the centuries have tried to figure out why Jesus imposed silence upon some people after he had performed a miracle. One reason may be that he did not want people to develop a miracle mentality and miss his grace and his love in the ordinary, everyday, commonplace, mundane things of life, and we need to be cautioned about the same. Reminds me of a story I heard about a South Louisiana Cajun by the name of Boudreaux. Boudreaux and Martha and I lived in New Orleans for a year and a half and loved that part of America and those people. And I, I, I'm not good at dialects. I cannot imitate them. I wish that I could. But Boudreaux was a Cajun, lived down there in the Delta region. And they had some heavy rains and some storms in the Mississippi and raining in southern Louisiana. And they were having a flood. And the water got up to Boudreaux's knees. And his friend Pierre came along. And Pierre said, Boudreaux, you better get in the boat. The water's rising. We're going to have a flood. And Boudreaux said, God will take care of me. Pierre said, all right, but I'm leaving. He left on with his boat. Water kept rising, kept rising, got up around Boudreaux's waist. And another friend came by in a larger boat, picking people off of the rooftops along the way. And they said, hey, Boudreaux, come on, get in the boat. The water is rising. We've got to get you out of here. And Boudreaux said, God will take care of me. So the boat went on off. Water kept rising and kept rising and kept rising. Boudreaux was standing on his tiptoe. All that was above the water was his face. A, a rescue helicopter came along looking, and they spotted Boudreaux and recognized him. And the man over the loudspeaker, or over the horn, spoke to him. Now, Boudreaux, try to work your way over there to that tree, and we'll drop you a rope, a rope, and we'll pull you up to the helicopter. Standing on his tiptoes in the rising water, Boudreaux shouted, God will take care of me. Water kept rising. Boudreaux drowned. Went to heaven. He walked in, and Simon Peter said, what are you doing here? Boudreaux said, that's exactly what I want to know. I do not belong here. God said he would take care of me. And I think there's a mistake that's been made. Simon Peter said, well, there is. You're not on the list. We don't have any place for you even. You said God would take care of me, and he hasn't done it, and I'm here to register my complaint. Simon Peter said, wait just a minute, wait just a minute. He went through some more files that he had there and looked at Boudreaux, Boudreaux, Boudreaux. Not take care of you. We sent you two boats and a helicopter. That kind of mentality is dangerous. <laughs> How many times has God sent us two boats and a helicopter and rescued us? And we thanked Pierre and we thanked everybody, 
but it was God working through people because that's the way he works and that's the way he worked in Samuel's life. He worked through his mother Hannah who protected him, who prayed for him, who loved him, who sustained him year after year, month after month because you see, it takes a long time for little boys to become Samuels and it takes a long time for us to become the persons God wants us to be and he'll fashion our lives through people just like Hannah. God's great grace protecting us, providing for us, perennially providing for us. Every day God taking care of us. Every day. Hannah brought Samuel a coat once a year. God brings you a daily supply of grace every morning, every morning. And you know, it is individually designed for your needs. The code of grace that God gives you every morning is tailor-made it is specifically designed for the needs in your life. He knows what they are. Just as you and I know we are different sizes, we wear different coats, we wear different shirt sizes, God knows the needs of our spiritual lives, the size of our doubt, the size of our fear, the size of our apprehension, the size of our guilt, and He comes every day with a tailor-made gift of grace for the living of this day just for you, specifically for you. He does not come along and reduce everybody to a plain pipe rack mentality. He does not come along and reduce everyone to the lowest possible common denominator. God is the first maker of designer clothes. And he does it every day. He designs grace greater than all of our needs and all of our fears and all of our sins and all of our guilts, grace sufficient for us. And something else. Your coat won't fit me. Oh, I might be able to put it on, but I'd look funny in it. My coat wouldn't fit you. Look, we're different sizes. You see, God didn't come to clothe all of us. He didn't come to save all of us. He came to clothe and to save each one of us. If you'd been the only person who ever lived who needed grace and love and spiritual strength, you would get it. Each of us is different. And the needs in my life are unique to me, and the needs in yours are unique to you. And God wants us to be unique persons. If he wanted us to be like everybody else, he would have made us like everybody else. He wants each one of us to be the best possible person I can be, flourishing under his love and under his grace and under his caring he wants me to become all the things that only I and God together can accomplish. And he fits that 
coat of grace, that wrap of love to the specific, personal, private needs of your heart and of your life. And you know in the kingdom of God, in the divine clothiers, there are no hand-me-downs. There are no hand-me-downs. You don't have to wear your big brother's clothes. You don't have to wear your older sister's clothes. In God's haberdashery, everything is new. No hand-me-downs. Everything is tailor-made just for you. Not tailor-made by the church and handed to you. Not tailor-made by your parents and handed to you. Tailor-made by the great clothier himself, Almighty God, and handed to you. Salvation does not come through the church. It does not come through other Christians. It comes individually to you through Jesus Christ, the grace of God. God does not have any grandchildren, if I can use, change the metaphor. God does not have any grandchildren. Salvation does not flow from father to son. It does not come in some form of apostolic succession through the church to you. It comes individually, tailor-made, just for you by Jesus Christ himself. Individually yours, uniquely yours, privately and personally yours. No leftovers, no hand-me-downs. Fresh grace every day, direct to you through Jesus Christ. And God gives us beauty. God gives us beauty. He wants our lives to be colorful. God loves color. God loves color. Anyone who doubts that was not alive in South Texas this past spring. I have never seen anything like it. The blue bonnets and the wildflowers. Incredible. Steve and I were out filming one day up near New Braunfels and Green in a great field up there of blue bonnets and yellow flowers. And we were filming some of these spots that uh, you see. And I was out there in that field, and I reached down, and I picked up a little flower, a little yellow flower. I don't know what kind it was. It just wasn't a rose. That's the only kind of flower I know, and it wasn't a rose. Picked up that little yellow flower and looked at it, and I thought... I am the only person, probably, in the entire universe who has ever looked just singularly at that little flower. One little flower. Millions of them out there. Why did God make that little flower? He made it because he loves color. He loves the world. He loves you. 
And you sometimes think you're so small and so insignificant and so unimportant in the light of all the great needs around the world that God doesn't have time for you. God doesn't have the ability nor the time to shower great grace and great color and great care upon you. Think about that little yellow flower. And if he'll take the time to create that little yellow flower that no one is going to see but he himself, how much more does he take care of you? How much more does he love you? How much more does he pour all of his colorful grace all over your life? God loves color. He's just extravagant with grace, isn't he? He's just a foolish spender of grace. He just goes around throwing color and love and grace and forgiveness everywhere. He wants to shower it in your life and in mine. My, how God loves color. Oh, think of the sunrise, the sunset. Light itself, when you break it up through that prism, is nothing but a rainbow. God just wraps the world in a rainbow every day. And the tabernacle in the wilderness in the Old Testament, that drab, gray, Sinai desert, and right in the middle of it, God's description and prescription for the tabernacle. It was a veritable blaze of color. Scarlets and blues and gold and silver. It was incredible, and it was even more graphically exciting because of the drab background upon which it sat. And that's exactly what he wants to do in your life and in mine. We live in a desert, and God wants to come into the desert of the world with the colorful grace of his people adorned with all of the Joseph colors of the coat. He wants his people to be alive, colorful, Don't you like, we've talked about somebody's being colorful. Wouldn't you rather be with someone who is colorful than someone who is dull? Wouldn't you rather be with somebody who is colorful than someone who is drab? Wouldn't you rather be in a colorful room rather than in a drab, depressing room? Wouldn't you rather be in a colorful world than in a drab, depressing world? God came to bring color and life and grace and love to our world. And we insult him when we, like the church so often in its history, continually falls in love with black. God came to give us life, to give us color, all the colors of his rainbow. And so, in conclusion, I quote from Isaiah, I will greatly rejoice in my Lord. My soul will greatly rejoice in my God. Listen to that. Listen to Isaiah, 61st chapter, 10th verse. I will greatly, not just moderately and politely and discreetly, I will greatly rejoice in my Lord. 
My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Why are we to sing? Why are we to be alive? Why are we, we to be joyous people? Because he has clothed us with the garments of salvation. As the, as the scripture tells us, our righteousness, our goodness, our morality in God's sight, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. Like the prodigal coming home from the far country. Filthy rags. We cannot deny that fact. Do not deny it. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. Eve tried to justify her sin. David tried to ignore his. Gehazi tried to deny his. We've all tried all three of those, and none of them will work. We come home, tattered rags from the prodigal's pit, rags of unrighteousness, which in God's sight, our goodness, our morality, in his sight is as filthy rags. We come home, and what does he do? He puts a tailor-made suit of salvation upon us. He greets us as the prodigal's father greeted him and covers his rags with a robe. He puts upon us the robe of righteousness. Therefore, I will greatly rejoice in my Lord. My soul shall, shall be joyful in my God. And my dear friend, the garment is free. The gift is of grace. It is motivated by the love of God and our need. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But like Hannah took that coat to her little son year by year, God's bringing his grace to you right now, moment by moment. Put it on. Wear it. Come to the party. Be colored red and green and blue and gold. Be made alive with the grace of God today. May we stand, please, and bow our heads. Dear Lord, how we thank you for these moments and how we pray. But anybody here, Lord, who keeps trying to weave their own righteousness and keep trying to manufacture their own goodness, help us to see, dear Lord, that it comes only as a gift of grace and love from you and help us to accept it. Accept not only the gift of your salvation, but the gift of the provision of your grace for our living to wrap your love around us, your strength around us, your forgiveness around us, to give us your faith and hope and courage. Dear Lord, for any who would come into the life of this church today, trusting you as Lord and Savior, becoming a part of this congregation, we pray for them in a special way in Jesus' name. Amen.